if you truly need to be liked and you back off and you don't push and you don't challenge and you don't question, then you're like everybody else that this prospect has ever met. But if you go out there trying to get respect and you recognize that gently pushing back and gently challenging the, their thinking, which might be outdated or incorrect, mm -hmm. uh, raising possibilities of other ways of thinking about what they're talking with you about, um, that's when a prospect actually respects you. All right. Hi, everyone. Today, I have Dave Curlin on the show. Dave is the founder and the CEO of Objective Management Group, also known as OMG, the award-winning leader in sales assessments and sales evaluation tools. Dave is also the CEO of the consulting firm Curlin & Associates, specializing in Salesforce development. Dave has decades of experience in sales coaching, sales training, sales systems, you name it. This is going to be a really exciting discussion to have with Dave, welcome to Stop Killing Deals. Thanks, George. Thanks for inviting me. And, you know, you just raised their expectations. They think it's going to be exciting now. And, and <laughs> this topic could very well be boring. I hope it's not. I hope it's not. <laughs> so great to have you on the show. On the last episode, we interviewed Lee Gerdes on the topic of fear. So that yeah. is the topic of today. <laughs> and uh, I, I think one of the big takeaways from that was that we shouldn't really fear fear itself, but rather we should be concerned about our responses to fear. Like how do we act, react when we become <clears throat> fearful? So this brought me to thinking, who's the best sales expert to talk about fear? And uh, with your assessments and in your evaluations, you have something called the sales, sales DNA and you talk about limiting beliefs. So that's why I thought about you, Dave. That was a great idea to think about me in that. Excellent. So what do you think? Where do we start? How do we connect this back to sales? Well, I, I think it kind of triangulates back to sales. As you said, there's self-limiting beliefs that play into this. And as you said, how we respond to fear is part of this. And how we respond depends on how well we control our emotions. And controlling our emotions as, as it relates to selling is really about that voice in our head. Mm -hmm. and whether we allow that to speak to us or not when we're selling. And then, and then there's the piece which we have to consider, it, which is what we're fearing, uh -huh. because there are certain things that we fear. For example, 59% of all salespeople need to be liked, and a good chunk of them need to be loved, and they're trying to get that from their conversations with their prospects. But hang, hang on a second. So are you saying that 40% of the salespeople don't want to be liked? Don't need to be liked. Don't need There's to a be liked? difference between you and I who are both very likable and whether oh. or not we, for our own uh, psyche, need to be liked. Okay. I can come across as being likable. I mean, not actually be likable, but I know how to act likable. But I don't care what anybody thinks of me. And I don't care whether anybody likes me. And I don't care whether people agree with me. It doesn't matter. Mm. So my actions aren't driven by making sure that you like the next thing I'm going to say. So when we think 
that almost 60% of salespeople do have that dying need to be liked. That next question they have to ask, that next thing they need to say, especially if they've been listening to your interviews, especially if they've been reading our blogs, especially if they've been reading our books, especially if they've been through sales training and there's a formal sales process, there's, there's an expectation that at this point in the process, they're supposed to ask these kinds of questions and they're supposed to keep asking. And the mm -hmm. questions are supposed to be uh, incrementally more personal and more profound until they can finally uncover that compelling reason that's going to cause somebody to do business with them. So if they're worried about those questions they're going to ask, if they're afraid, if I ask one more question, this prospect is just going to lose it. If I ask that question right now, they're going to hate me. If I say that one thing that sales training has been pounding into my head that I have to say right now, they're going to hang up the Zoom call. Mm -hmm. They're going to kick me out. If they're afraid of that, yeah. then, then the fear is present throughout the discovery stage of the sales process. And um, that voice in their head is active. So that's fear driven by something else altogether. It's yeah. fear driven by the need to be liked. Now, I mentioned emotions. Uh -huh. So if somebody says something to them, it actually happens. Their fear was, it was worth the worrying about. And the prospect gets upset with them. Like, mm -hmm. how dare you ask me that question? That's none of your business. I don't share that with salespeople. If, mm -hmm. a, if a prospect reacts emotionally, and the salesperson was already afraid, and then the prospect says that thing they were afraid of hearing, now they're emotional. They yeah. go into, oh my God mode. Mm -hmm. It happened, now what? So now they can't control their emotions. So now it's fear plus it happened. So now they go into fight or flight mode. Yeah. You know, the true panic, oh my God. Um, so th there's a lot of stuff going on and what's really important at this moment is whether they react or whether they respond. Mm -hmm. A reaction is emotional. It's, yep. it's the first thing that feels right for them. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Please don't hate me. I'll give you the discount. Yeah. Or they can respond, which is a measured approach. It means the voice in their head isn't dictating what they're uh -huh. going to do next. And a measured response might be, it looks like I got you upset. And, and let them say, yeah, you got me upset. Tell, tell me about that. And, and now they let the prospect vent, which is a good thing. The prospect yeah. is emotional. More, more likely they can get them from upset to ready to buy than from never getting them upset and never getting them ready to buy. And, and then so there's a, a combination between the need to be liked and controlling emotions, which is basically a salesperson's ability to stay in the moment, be right here right now, not thinking too far ahead, not worrying about what already went by, but mm -hmm. just actively listening and engaged in a conversation, which leads them to the next appropriate question.
And how so, do you how do you then ident self identify? I guess is the question that you have the need to be liked. <clears throat> Most people who need to be liked know it. If if I tell a salesperson, you know, I I get the feeling that that happened to you because you needed to be liked. They'll go, oh yeah. <laughs> you didn't ask that question because you were afraid they wouldn't like you anymore. Oh, of so course. How do, how do we reframe that then? Because I guess we need a reframe there so That's that right. you don't think about that. In that exactly. Um, what I tell salespeople is, you know, and once they understand how how detrimental it is to yeah. their selling success, um, what I tell them that if they need to get something out of the relationship, they should strive to get respected. Mm -hmm. if, if you truly need to be liked and you back off and you don't push and you don't challenge and you don't question, then you're like everybody else that this prospect has ever met and they won't respect you. Mm -hmm. So you didn't accomplish anything by needing to be liked. But if you go out there trying to get respect and you recognize that gently pushing back and gently challenging the, their thinking, which might be outdated or incorrect, or gently challenging what they just said, uh, mm -hmm. raising possibilities of other ways of thinking about what they're talking with you about. Um, that's when a prospect actually respects you. And you get liked by anybody. You can get liked by your pets and by your spouse and by your kids and by your parents and by your friends. You don't need to get it from prospects and from customers, but you do need to be respected because they'll buy from somebody they respect and they'll blow off somebody who sounds like every other salesperson they've yeah. ever talked to. And there is no conflict in being respected and being liked, right? No, if you're like a bull, they will like you. And if we're trying to do things that will get us respected, they will ultimately respect you. Yeah, so I guess it's also a, there might be a, a faulty connection in one's head if you think that if I'm, if I will be liked, they will buy from me because there's no, there's no real correlation there. There isn't. Um, you know, if we go back several decades, everything was premised on relationship selling. You know, if you go out, you mm -hmm. meet somebody, you build a relationship, yeah. people buy from people they like. And there's still some truth to that. People do want to like the people they buy from but it's it, now it's one of a dozen criteria whereas 40 years ago 50 years ago it might have been the only criteria yeah and i guess also there were less there was less competition back then so maybe much there weren't less. 50, it was much more localized 50 yeah. years ago yeah. and today you could be competing with someone who is located anywhere in the world mm -hmm. as as you know and as i know yeah so what other kinds of, of limiting beliefs do you raise in your, in your work with the uh, evaluations and assessments you do? So when we evaluate a salesperson, we're looking at as many as 55 self-limiting beliefs that any given salesperson might have. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's good when it's under a half a dozen. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's serious when it's a dozen or more. And for most salespeople, we typically see 10 to 12 self-limiting beliefs. And we, we talked about one of them. Yeah. You know, what happens if they don't like me? Mm -hmm. um, but there, there are simpler 
uh, more common ones than that. Uh, for example, a salesperson who's tasked with, I have to look around to find a phone because we don't use phones <laughs> much anymore. A salesperson who's tasked with dialing for dollars, uh -huh. whether it's a business development rep working the top of the funnel or in a smaller company, a salesperson who's responsible for, you know, finding prospects, scheduling meetings, running the whole sales cycle and getting them closed. The fear of making a cold call could be paralyzing and debilitating or uh, making the call and, and believing, worrying, being afraid that uh, the prospect will be upset that they interrupted them, upset that they called without having a, a meeting. That, that goes on every single day with yeah. everybody that's working the phone. And what do you think that fear comes from mostly the, the, the cold calling fear? Like why don't, why do salespeople don't want to pick up the phone? Because of their mothers. Because <laughs> of their mothers? Yeah. Playing the mothers. Okay. Their mothers when, when they were itsy bitsy and leaving the house for the first time, what, what was the message their mother said to them? Be careful. And don't, talk to strangers. to strangers oh now i get what you mean yeah don't talk to strangers that stays um you know um chris mott who works uh -huh. with me at curlin and associates when chris first came to work with me he had a belief that was passed down to him from his mother that money was the root of all evil she she came from academia mm -hmm. and she believed that and chris had that belief when he started here and we had to go through some serious reprogramming with chris to get him to overcome that money is the root of all evil belief yeah. so that he could get uh six figures from clients who needed a full sales development program yeah yeah money that's an interesting one as well the money discussion that must be a very yeah. common theme. so so there's, there's a couple pieces there's how Chris was brought up, money is uh -huh. the root of all evil. It's how most people are brought up. Um, next door neighbor drives up in a shiny new sports car and you're a little kid. And you go, dad, dad, look at that car. Isn't that cool? And dad says, oh yeah, that's a beauty. Says, well, how, much, how much do you think a car like that costs? Hey, Dave, shouldn't ask people questions about how much right. things cost. It's not polite to ask people about their money. Uh -huh. And a huge portion of people are brought up believing that more mm -hmm. than it's the root of all evil. You're not supposed to talk about it. And you can't thoroughly qualify an opportunity unless you can talk about money. And most salespeople are taught to ask, do you have a budget? And they're okay with that. And they're taught to ask, do you have a budget? And they're okay with that. But most people will say, no, we don't have a budget. Or if they do have a budget, they'll artificially lower it so mm -hmm. that you're forced to think in terms of fitting it into an artificially lowered budget. So salespeople, to be effective, they really need to dig past that and, and say, let's talk about money. Are you willing to spend more money with us to get my help? solving this problem that you told me about that's costing you this much money fixed the right way mm -hmm. the very first time right now. And you know, if they don't say yes to that, and if they don't say yes to the amount of money we're talking about, we've got to figure out what what's wrong with how they're perceiving our value and 
raise their perception of our value mm-hmm. and sometimes find out where they can find the money they need to work with us. You know, okay, you don't have the money available today. So how do you find the money? Who do you talk to? Where do you go? What do you ask? What's happened when you've done that in the past? I, do you have conviction about this? Will mm-hmm. you push back if they say no? And most salespeople can't do that because they don't think it's polite. Yeah, and I think also if we look at people or salespeople who want who need to call higher, and oh and sure, they get really nervous about okay, will I be able to handle such a conversation? I think there's a lot of fear in that. One of the things that that we discovered hidden in in OMG's data on more than two million salespeople last year was that. Salespeople who reach a decision maker early in the sales process mm-hmm. are 900% more likely to get to closable than salespeople who don't start with the decision maker. 900%. Wow. And we also found that new salespeople, only 1% of them, new salespeople, are getting to decision makers. It's a huge part of what's wrong with. Mm-hmm. Salespeople not hitting quotas. Because what's yeah. what's the latest? We're up to close to sixty percent of salespeople not hitting quotas. Mm-hmm. And if we were going to, there's lots of stuff we can point to, and fear is certainly one of them. But not getting to decision makers is a huge one. And not getting to them is that because they don't know they're supposed to. Uh, it's not part of their sales process, or they're afraid yeah. to ask to get to that person, mm-hmm. or they aren't able to come up with a compelling enough reason with the person they're talking to, to have that person bring the decision maker into the conversation. But for whatever reason, fear being one of the big ones, it's not happening. And they're just wasting their time and spinning their wheels, talking to the wrong people about the wrong stuff at the wrong time. Yeah. No, I see that a lot. And I think maybe it also goes back to training. Do we train salespeople well enough in how to have valuable conversations with higher-ups. Exactly. Uh, and a lot of the training doesn't do that. No. You know, it, it teaches them to identify who, who the decision makers are and who the influences are, yeah. but it doesn't really train them to do the hand-to-hand combat that's yeah. no, required exactly. to get it to happen. Yeah. What does that conversation sound like and what needs to have already happened before you have that conversation? Uh-huh. I hate the concept of asking who's the decision maker. It's a horrible yeah. question. It's just as bad as those budget questions I mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're uncovering a compelling reason to buy, if you're disciplined enough and patient enough to keep asking questions until we uncover that compelling reason to buy, then you can ask a question like, who else cares about this? Mm-hmm. And that decision maker's name will come up. naturally instead Mm -hmm. of forced. And then we can say, well, shouldn't that person or those people be part of this conversation instead of saying, can I meet the decision maker? So salespeople are way too transactional in the kinds of questions they're asking to check off the boxes of the sales process Mm -hmm. instead of having a thoughtful, in-depth, timing appropriate, patience appropriate conversation. Yeah, agreed. Let's uh, switch over to f- sales managers then. What, what, what oh, are we you- have to talk about them? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think sales managers are mostly afraid of? What kind of fear is holding them back most of the time? That's a great question. And sales managers were salespeople. 
So they have the same problem that salespeople have, right? They want to be liked. Mm-hmm. So they have a hard time holding their salespeople accountable and reprimanding them when they aren't doing the things they're supposed to do. And they have a hard time with coaching, with real coaching, not what they think is coaching, you know, just talking to a person and suggesting a couple of things, but real yeah. coaching with role play. So they're afraid of holding their salespeople accountable. They're afraid of doing a role play. They're afraid of really trying to coach and engage and make their salespeople better because they don't really know how. Mm. And they don't know how their salespeople are going to react. And they're afraid that if they push it, salespeople won't like them anymore and might quit. So how do you even hold someone accountable? Well, I think it starts with having agreed upon goals. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot easier to hold someone accountable to specific mm-hmm. goals and a specific plan and specific metrics that the salesperson's bought into. That way, if the salesperson doesn't do what they're supposed to, the sales manager can say, hey, can we talk about those goals or metrics or the plan that we collaborated on? Um, you said that you do this every day and every week and every month and every quarter. And there's a gap between what you said you do and what you're actually doing. And I'll, I'll help you. I'll work with you. Uh, but I need you to know right now, this isn't acceptable. Mm-hmm. And this can't continue. And I can't justify keeping you here if this doesn't change. And most sales managers are afraid of that conversation. So I'll say, do better next week. I know you can do it. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So I'm thinking about like exercising. You, uh, people might have personal trainers to sure. hold them accountable, right? And they um, need those personal trainers because they certainly can't rely on themselves. You no, know, exactly. And and uh, I guess it also goes back to then what is your personal goal for exercising? Do you, do you have a clear goal? Do you have some motivation that makes you want to exercise right this many times per week for this long and these sets and this many repetitions yeah why why are you doing it i mean it needs to come from within i think that sometimes maybe missed in sales coaching and sales accountability that going back to that yeah and the same thing thing with dieting Yeah, of course. Like this year, I'm going to re-gift the extra 40 pounds that was given to me over the last three years. (laughs) So I've I've got some goals and metrics for how I'm eating. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I can't hold myself accountable to that, then somebody else has to. Yeah. But that's the only way it'll get done with with commitment and discipline and accountability. Mm -hmm. One thing that Lee said that was interesting, he said, we have a tendency to either do, go fight or flight uh, or freeze. Like each individual has a sort of a preference where, where, they, where they go. And if you have a, a tendency to freeze, you also have a tendency to procrastinate. That's right. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, in your assessments, do you see a lot of procrastination? We do test for procrastination. Okay. Um, and we look at it specifically in the context of prospecting, whether okay. procrastination, uh, perfectionism mm-hmm. specifically causes them to procrastinate making that call because perfectionists won't do something till they're sure they can do it perfectly. Right. And as you know, there is no perfect cold call. They're all bad, right? That they're <laughs> never going to be perfect. So 
there's certainly a percentage of salespeople who can do it, but yeah. won't do it until they know they can kill it. Uh-huh. And they never get to that point where they're confident that they can do it well. So they don't start. Okay. So they spend their time researching forever. And What happens if I don't do a good job on the call? What happens if I'm ineffective and a perfectionist can't handle imperfection? And how, so how do we, we overcome that? that in the context of what would hold somebody back from consistently prospecting? And how would we reframe that? We can't unless unless you can reprogram that individual from having to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Now, a sales manager plays a part in that. Yeah. Sales manager can give them permission to fail. Yeah, but I guess it's that subtlety. They, exactly. All they really need to do is say, George, I know it's important to you to be perfect. But for this, I don't care. I don't care if you screw it up. I don't care if the prospect hangs up on you. I don't care if you make a hundred calls and don't get a single appointment. It's okay. Yeah. We'll get to perfection if you screw it up first a hundred times. And I want you to know, I want you to screw it up. It's okay to screw it up. I will applaud you if you screw it up. Mm-hmm. Just make some horrible calls for me. <laughs> but yeah. it, it literally takes that kind of a sales manager to bring them along. Um, there's a scene in Shrek where Shrek has to get the donkey across the, the bridge over burning fire. Yeah. And uh, I can't really describe the scene, but it's, it's a perfect explanation of what sales managers need to do with their salespeople. What Shrek, Shrek does with donkey is he's basically pushing them along, pushing them along, continuing to have the conversation about, uh, how how afraid donkey is until donkey's on the other side and doesn't realize that he got there. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Fear can also be used to our benefit because if we are fearful of not being perfect, maybe we just shift what, what the discussion of perfect is all about and say that if you don't do a hundred calls, that's pretty imperfect. That's imperfect. <laughs> right. And if you don't do a hundred calls, then you'll have failed. Yeah, that's and you have to worry about getting a new job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. It's a complex problem. It is, yeah. I mean, and I think fear, I, I always tell the kids, and I said it in the interview with, with, with Lee, like you will always get into situations where you're afraid. And the big trick is to figure out why you're afraid and what your next action is and not, not, not just reacting to it there and then, because that will put you into all kinds of, of problems. Which brings us back to those actual self-limiting beliefs, the yeah. words. And the, the thing we can do is reprogram the yes. things we say to ourselves. We can reframe them, but we have to hear the more supportive, the more affirmative words enough times so that they overpower the self-limiting words that we say to ourselves. Hmm. And where, if we would sort of hone in on where in the sales process there are most, where people are most afraid, is there an easy answer to that? There isn't because it happens equally. If, if we break the sales process into four stages, you know, that first stage is prospecting and it happens a lot in that stage. The second stage is discovery and it happens a lot there. The third stage is qualifying and it happens a lot there. And the fourth stage would be uh, presenting, proposing, closing, and it happens a lot 
at closing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's hard to work around it. If if someone has self-limiting beliefs, if they are afraid, that, that fear is happening throughout their sales cycle. And we have to recognize it. We have to see that it's there and and do what we can to help salespeople overcome it. And that's one of the places where sales managers overall are failing. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're just blind to all of that. They're oblivious to it. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm a process guy. So I think one way of... Um, I, I never knew that. <laughs> one way of, of actually sort of trying to, to help people with this, I think, is just identifying where we think these roadblocks will occur uh, and try to latch helpful guiding tips and coaching to those steps. Like it's, it's like with training, I can I always come up with a few excuses why I should not do my workout. And um, my personal trainer has now full insight on my excuses <laughs> and he, he then uses them. So I know you on Tuesdays, you always do this, right? So right after that, you have to do this. Uh, and it's like, if you want to have a new habit, uh, the suggestion from a lot of sort of behavioral research is to latch it onto an already existing behavior. Like do it right after you brush your teeth, do your 10 work uh, push-ups or whatever every day, start there. And we can do that in the sales process as well. That's right. And, and especially uh, Membrane, your baby, uh, there, there's so much opportunity to be able to build some of that stuff right in to the sales process within Membrane and make it part of the playbook. Yeah, just codify this stuff because you know it's going to come up instead of just having this individual discussion with every rep every time, build it into the playbook which you could do with the OMG stuff as well, right? You could have extra steps show up for people you know are struggling with the money discussion. Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. Okay, cool. I think we've had a great chat on the topic of fear. So thanks a lot for joining us today. My pleasure. Where do people find you if they want to find out more about OMG and Curlin and Associate? Uh, The easiest thing is to email me. D Curlin, D Curlin, K U R L A N, at objectivemanagement.com or curlinassociates.com. I get them both. Or you can find me on my blog, omghub.com, and uh, you can reach me through there. Very cool. Thanks a lot for joining us, Dave. Thanks for inviting me, George. And we'll see you on social media, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs>